The Radicals, a podcast version of the novel The Radicals, written by me, Marilyn Krasner. The Radicals is narrated by Amanda Friedlander. Intro and outro music by Siobhan Hurd. Links in the show notes. How was it? Cecilia asks. I always call her after group. It wasn't the worst. I might have made a friend. Do you need me to pick anything up? Yeah, we need more rice milk and those gluten-free cookies. Mom says Frida's uncomfortable today. I shouldn't have asked. We don't need rice milk. She needs rice milk, and I hate going to the fancy-ass grocery store with the exact rice milk Cecilia likes. Fuck my hopes and dreams. Group leader crossed a line with that one. She's assuming I've never achieved anything. I've contributed. I've made a difference. What has that frizzy-haired, low-life counseling bag of bones ever achieved? A cry sneaks up on me. Fuck, it's gonna be a big one. I've been crying a lot more since I've been on probation. I don't know if the crying and probation are related, but it's something I've noticed. I cry so much now that I've noticed a pattern. I've created categories for my cries. Online cries are initiated by the tearjerker videos that I watch on purpose. They're nice because they leave me refreshed and in touch with my emotions, something I need to force upon myself sometimes. This cry I'm having now is the most common one. I call it the pain cry. Those come from hurt that I can't clean out so easily. The feelings are heavy, and crying is not a relief. It's not even accurate to call it a cry. It's a release. Like, I'm a bucket of pain, and I'm full. Each cry lets out a little bit of pain in the form of tears, but the pain bucket fills up real fast and is always close to overflowing. The rarest cries are the gasping sobs. These leave me fighting for air, but afterwards I'm like a field of freshly mowed green grass. My mind is clear and clean, and I smell good. I think I would need to have a gasping sob cry every day of the month to drain the pain bucket to halfway. I don't know how I would fit that into my schedule. I often cry after I get singled out in a group. I'm a scapegoat. People can sell drugs to children or mug an old lady, but because I don't shave my armpits, I am pariah number one amongst the pariahs. Fuck it. I fought the power and the power won. This round. The only thing I'm fighting now is reflex. Frida is uncomfortable and Cecilia is frustrated because at eight weeks, Frida developed reflux. Before this happened, I thought reflux, also known as heartburn, was a white man's disease acquired at steakhouses and golf clubs throughout the United States, but babies get it. It's been a month since we noticed Frida seemed uncomfortable. It's unbelievable because the only thing she eats, the only thing she has ever eaten, is the best food on earth, breast milk. Cecilia is a healthy person, so the reflux is not her fault, but does she blame herself? Yes, of course she does. If there's one thing I've learned in my short time as a caretaker of an infant, it is that feeling guilty about anything and everything is the fuel that keeps the parenting engine going. Guilt kicks my ass out of bed every day so that I can retry all the stuff I failed at the day before. Instead of taking Frida to the doctor and getting medicine, Cecilia is trying to fix the reflux on her own by changing her diet. In the past month, Cecilia has given up gluten, dairy, coffee, acidic foods, sugar, spicy foods, corn syrup, and red meat. Nothing has made a difference. I'm happy to go along with her experimenting because I don't approve of conventional medicines manufactured to turn big pharma big profits. 
We are also sleep deprived, as most new parents are, which makes following a strict diet harder than it would be if you were able to sleep instead of feeling hungry. I try to be supportive and eat meals with Cecilia as much as possible, but because her food choices are so limited, I need to supplement. I can't work a night shift on a salad. I've started leaving for work 10 minutes earlier so I can go to the burrito truck. I gorge on burritos most nights. Sometimes I change it up with a few tacos. I feel guilty that I am able to leave her in her misery with Frida while I eat beautiful, greasy, off-limit food without her. She says she doesn't mind what I eat outside of the house as long as I don't bring it home or talk about it. My theory about the reflux is that it's the chemicals floating around at work that are causing Frida's little body to malfunction. It's because of the raw skin in my fingers that I think this. Cecilia doesn't agree with me and says the same thing every time I bring this up. What are we going to do? Go under because I switched the bleach bases to commercial-grade citrus or lavender disinfectants. All the linens would go from crisp whites to grays where the stains were. We would lose all of our contracts. She has a point. Her job is a lot more important than mine. She's the operations manager, so she knows about contracts and stuff. She works the day shift and I work the night shift. This week, she went back to work full-time. This week, her mother and I started sharing childcare duties. This week, my life got even harder. Like right now, I hate this store, but I have to go in. It's full of fancy people who make me feel uncomfortable and unworthy. According to group leader, my discomfort manifests itself in rude or antisocial behavior, so I try to avoid the store for fear I will act out. I slap the top of my thighs and rub my legs until my hands are hot from the friction of my jeans. I turn my palms up and take three deep breaths, so deep my ribs hurt and I'm dizzy. Sometimes this works, this intense breathing. I try to save time by taking three hardcore breaths in place of ten regular ones, but right now it's not working. I'm not feeling so great. I grip the steering wheel until my fingers ache. I should have gone to sleep after work instead of watching videos online, which I often do when I need to wind down. I don't watch anything that would excite the government computer checkers. It's mostly music or my brother's videos of his adventures in Asia. I'm pretty much the only person who watches those. I've seen them hundreds of times. I like the ones where he's eating street food in Hong Kong. The videos are bittersweet because I miss him and I end up feeling sad and these days when I'm feeling sad I binge watch videos that initiate an online cry. Maybe I'm bored. Maybe I need to diversify my independent activities. I could expand on the painting and make more home DIY projects like the key rack I made last month and hung up next to our front door. It's bright pink and functional. I can still make cool stuff and it isn't antisocial. Maybe I do too many activities independently. I could join one of those feminist basketball teams. When I'm vulnerable, I like to imagine I'm covered in a hard shell, like a candy coating. A superhero with a high fructose exterior. I close my eyes and paint myself with layers and layers of whatever they use to make the sweet protectors. I kick the car door open and slowly pull myself out of the car. I feel like I'm the caregiver helping my adult self to get out of her own car. Success. I am standing. I am ready to initiate forward motion into the store. Also, I am craving sugar. I've walked past the buckets of tropical flowers outside the entrance. It's not so bad now that I'm looking at the bright orange and pink walls and smelling home cooking coming from the deli section. It's comforting inside, actually. People are smiling in here. At me. That old lady has just said hello to me. I'm still getting used to being perceived as someone who is not a threat. My appearance may be a tool of resistance for me, but that woman feels comfortable enough to talk to me because she doesn't see how dissimilar I am to her. Another sign that I am being swallowed up by the anonymity of daily life. Get up, get dressed, eat, feed the child, change the diapers, go to work, go to sleep. 
I grab the cookies and the rice milk, a pack of black licorice, dark chocolate, and a healthy cola, even though I know there is no such thing, and go to the checkout. Did you find everything you're looking for? The checkout guy asks me without any concern that I am about to overload on sugar. What would he care anyway? Look at his hair. He is so busy being awesome that he doesn't give a shit what anyone is buying unless it affects his coiffure in some way. I like your hair, I say. He nods and smiles at me with a familiar look homos give each other when we see each other. A straight man would never grow his hair long, dye it purple, and pile it up on top of his head with what must be a can of hairspray. Can you use a can of hairspray and work it in an upmarket health food store? Those two things must cancel each other out karmically. Have you ever thought about pinning toys in there like little people surfing? What? I don't know. Nothing. Sorry. What a stupid thing to say. I pile the food in my arms and speed walk back to my car. I throw the food on the passenger seat. My phone rings. Hi, Mom. What's up? Just checking in. Mom has three voices. Bored slash default, annoyed, and constricted. Did you see your probation officer today? She's using constricted now. Yes. Did you ask about getting out of that group? She has switched to annoyed voice. I did, but I don't know if that's going to happen. She said the judge would have to approve it. Well, you know, the longer you stay in there, the bigger the chance you might do something that's not allowed to one of those troublemakers. I don't want to think about what would happen after that. I take a bite of the chocolate. How was it today? Same. So they picked on you? No. You can't be open with them. How are you expected to get better? There's nothing wrong with me. I know. You've done so well. Constricted. Are you worried about something? I'm always worried about something. I know this is a hint for me to open the door to the heart-to-heart she called to have, but I'm not going there. How's Frida? In pain. We're not sleeping. Cecilia started back at work this week. It's been hard. I don't remember anything like that when you kids were babies. They're not sleeping, of course, but that reflux sounds bad. Do you think it's from genetically modified foods? That can't be helping. What did the doctor say again? We haven't taken her to the doctor. Might be a good idea. Bored. How's Luke? I ask. He's good. Not much is new with him. Kate is uncomfortable. She's only got a month left. Told him you'd be good to talk to about baby advice. Probably doesn't know what to ask. I didn't think we'd be dealing with baby heartburn. It's unfair. Poor baby. First she gets pushed out of Cecilia into this bright world that's all noisy and cruel. Now she can't even enjoy eating or sleeping. Fucking awful. Hmm... What? Did I tell you about my friend Sheila with the throat cancer? It's an amazing story. Terrible story. She can't talk, and of course she can't work, so her daughter packed up and moved across the country to take over the business. Truly selfless. The business is doing great. A real success story. I'll send you their website. Oh yes, please do that so I can feel great about how I've never sacrificed for you like Jasmine has done for her mother. Have you thought any more about visiting Luke? I think he would like that. I want to. It's just probation. After you finish, though. And the tickets are a lot of money. It'd be so cute to have the two babies together. We are both quiet for what feels like five minutes. I want to hang up. Mom, I'm going to go, I say. Remember when you were in Oakland? She asks, and she knows that I know exactly what she is talking about. I take a deep, audible breath so she gets a clear message about how I feel about this topic. I don't want to bring up the old stuff. Why talk about it, then, I want to say. I came to get you. Do you remember that, Mandy? You were real down in the dumps. I keep breathing slow and deep. Hello? She chimes. 
that was a bad time, I say, for both of us. It was a bad time for both of us. Do you ever talk to those people? No, I have no interest in talking to them. This is not true. Also, I'm not allowed to, remember? They search my fucking phone and laptop every month. Had my appointment today. You know, it's always a rough day when I see my P.O. Sorry, but I'm recovering also, and sometimes that involves going over old stuff. Not with me, Mom, is what I want to say. But unless we are working towards some sort of resolution about that time in Oakland, that fucking fucked up chaotic day, I don't know why we have to keep talking about this. I don't think we keep talking about this, she says. When was the last time we talked about this? I don't think we ever really talked about how you didn't come with me in the ambulance. I'm sorry. It was humiliating. I'm sorry. My stomach is tight as the sequence of events replay in my head like a choppy body camera video on a guilty cop. Me at the top of the concrete steps. Her running up. That nasty, greasy-haired dude we all hated with his arm out straight stopping her from getting into the house. Mom falling backwards down three, maybe four steps onto the sidewalk. Me shouting at the guy. Somebody pulling me into the house, then shutting the front door and holding me back, like they were protecting me from something bad when they were just keeping me away from my mom who would come pick me up because I asked her to. I was 35, and she came to get me just like she did when I was a kid at a sleepover I didn't like. I guess I was still at a sleepover I didn't like, except she had to drive six hours instead of around the block. Then she got assaulted by a thug and treated like shit by all the other kids who didn't like their moms and took their aggression out on mine. I could hear mom crying while I stood there behind the door and let those idiots think they had done the right thing. We are both quiet for an agonizing minute. I eat more chocolate. Mom? What? She is crying. I'm sorry I treated you bad. I'm sorry I treated Aunt Penny and a lot of other people so bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't think I hate that I let that happen to you? Mom sighs. I think we're on the other side. I'm on probation. It's the best case scenario annoyed voice. I've actually been thinking about getting old. I'll be super grumpy, but at least I'll be around. I hope I die before you get old. She laughs. Ha ha, mom. I'm glad she can still make jokes at my expense, but I'm not allowed to do the same. I can't help but worry that you will disappear again. I want to throw my phone out the window right now and trap her in it like those bad guys at the beginning of the original Superman movie. Throw this phone and send her to a dark corner of the parking lot until I rescue her, because I would. I'm responsible now. It's not fair that she always calls me after I visit my PO. She always tells me she's afraid of losing me, as if her telling me she has so little confidence in me is going to magically transform me into the person she wants me to be. I'm trying hard to do the right things now. I can't do anything about you being worried. I can't help you with that. Mom blows her nose. I know, I know. I was feeling sad. I'm sorry I hurt you so much. I know. It's our story. Silence. Are you thinking about Owen? I ask. I guess. Mom says. Owen has been dead about 20 years. She should be over it by now, but her grief is like a wall that she can't knock down. I know Aunt Penny has tried to set her up with men over the years, made her online dating profiles, tried to get her to go on dates with guys she plays bridge with, but she hasn't met anyone. Owen might have been her perfect man despite him being in his 60s when she was in her 40s. He was a funny old guy. I admired him. Every Saturday they would spend hours food shopping at the farmer's market. I went with them once. Never again. He talked so long to farmers who he had known for years. Talked and talked. After the market, they went to the butcher for farm-killed meats, raw milk, and fresh cheeses wrapped in waxy papers. He made his own bread every few days and was insistent, militant really, about organic food. 
He put all of Cecilia's slow food microbrew hipster friends to shame. Still died from a heart attack. Fucking unfair for mom. What I liked about him was that he laughed at her jokes and not in a condescending way, but because he thought she was hilarious. He was kind and they were equals. Like with housework, he made sure he did his share. The most awesome thing he did was encourage mom to go to art school. Like real art, not therapy painting like I do. He took care of the house stuff while she made and studied art. She still teaches the after-school art classes she started when she graduated. That was an amazing time for mom. Transformative. She became herself when she was at art school. She had me and Luke so young, she never had the chance to fulfill her creative potential as a young person. I was in college at the same time as she was in art school, but I wasn't sure what the hell I wanted to do or where my life was going. Mom would call me and talk at me about art therapy and the polyamorous relationships her classmates were involved in. I thought it was great, but I was also jealous as fuck. I'd be standing in my dorm room listening to her enthusiastic retelling of a lecture that blew her mind, and I would ask myself, how the hell is my mom having a better college experience than I am? I dropped out during my freshman year while my mom was at the top of her class. Owen looked after Luke, who was in his early teens. That time seemed good for Luke as well. They cooked together and hung out in the garage, building useful household whatnots out of wood and greasing various metal things that needed greasing. When I visited the house during the Owen years, I felt like an observer more than part of the family. They didn't exclude me, but they didn't include me either. Mom would be in her studio working on something meaningful and brilliant because she's super talented, while Owen and Luke would be in their dude world. I had nothing to do except watch TV and go drinking with other leftover high school losers and pretend like I was enjoying having no purpose. It was through those losers that I met Sally. Then Owen died and I didn't know what to do. There was a lot of chaotic back and forth to the hospital, then the funeral home, then the cemetery, and this heavy underlying tension mom was dealing with because of Owen's kids. I hated it and I stayed away as much as I could. If things are tense, I like there to be evidence, like bruises and blood, unkind words, and shouting. This was a time of deep sorrow and because I didn't ever get close to the guy, I wasn't grieving him in the same way my mom and Luke were. I was on my own emotional roller coaster even before Owen died. On some level, I knew what was happening to me, but at the same time, I had no plans for myself, no goals, no nothing. I was 19 and lost. Around the time he had the heart attack, I was giving myself to Sally, and there was nobody at home to save me from her influence. She took hold of me like a spider and filled me with a venom of stories about rape and the systematic domination of women. I was already looking for some place to put my anger and hanging out with her. It didn't take long before I hated men. I hated America. I hated the monolithic patriarchy, which I only understood as a concept at that time. And I felt like the concept was suffocating me. The weight of the world of unfairness was like a building on top of me. I raged alone, silently while mom and Luke grieved in the other rooms of the house. Where are you? Mom asks. I'm in a parking lot, that fancy health food store. I eat too much sugar and I'm all jittery. Every day is like one thing after another. Do the dishes, change the diapers, make dinner, take care of Frida, be present for Cecilia, go to group. I don't have a moment that doesn't belong to someone else, and on top of all that, I'm monitored and reported on. It's hard. You're doing something hard. Not everyone has the courage to remake their life. And you have a newborn baby twice as hard for you. Do you think I have it harder? If I have it harder, it proves I may not be incapable of every aspect of adulthood. Yes, I think you have it harder. It's not like you had good parenting when you were a kid. That's not true, I say, and I mean it. I did my best. I could have done better. You did great. I would have happily changed diapers for 42 years if it meant I didn't have to go through the hell you put me through the past 25 years. She laughs. 
I can understand why you think that's funny, but can you understand why I don't at all? Because you have no sense of humor. Mom, what's up with you? It seems like you're trying to hurt my feelings. We were both quiet for a long moment. Carl was the one who fucked up. You want to talk about a fucked up example of a parent? He's your template, I say, trying to make her feel better when all I want is for her to make me feel better. Yeah, he did fuck up pretty bad. You know the lie about lesbians being man-haters because they had bad dads? I've had people say that about you. Well, it's like a real in-your-face example of patriarchy, right? Like, dude makes children, but dude doesn't take care of them. Hmm. She's bored. Like, maybe it's true in some cases that bad fathers push women to be around other women, but I think that's just another example of men taking credit. I made her gay. She hates men because of me. Oh my god, so gross, right? Hmm. Do you agree with me? Sure. I want to see my Frida. Can you bring her over this weekend? I'll talk to Cecilia, hopefully this weekend or next. Did I tell you I did one of those online DNA tests? I had to swap spit from the inside of my cheek and send it away. What? Why? I'm curious. About what? We're so white. You don't know for sure. What if I'm something exotic like Scandinavian or Turkish? I don't even know where I'm at. I don't think I have the brain power to think about where I'm from. Well, I'm interested in knowing about myself. I have to go. And that concludes another painful phone call with my mother. Once, when Cecilia and I were first going out, Cecilia said, You think about this stuff hard. I was pissed and probably pacing and definitely ranting, maybe about how much I hated TERFs and capitalism and classism within the queer community or some similar topics that were often on my mind. There had been an altercation with my landlord slash roommate whose anti-trans quips were commonplace. She was an older, moneyed, conservative lesbian, and we had nothing in common with each other. Most of the time, I was able to keep my opinions to myself and avoid controversial topics with her. That night, I made the mistake of sitting in the living room while she watched one of those conservative cable news shows. They were doing a story on Pussy Riot in Russia, and I was so excited to see those women with their bright balaclavas and their anti-Putin feminist disruptions. I remember feeling nostalgic for my pussy power life that weeks prior had been taken away from me by the judge and the stupid rules of my probation. I was in a bad way, and when my roommate turned the TV off and said, stupid bitches, I grabbed her remote control from its coveted spot on the arm of her recliner and tried to turn the TV back on, which was the worst thing I could have done. I had been told several times, like a naughty dog, that I wasn't allowed under any circumstances to touch the remote. I tried to turn the TV back on, but I pushed the wrong button and her house went crazy. She had a smart house, not so smart, and that one stupid remote controlled her TV, DVD player, stereo system, thermostat, dishwasher, and security alarm. The alarm went off and then smooth jazz started blasting out of the speakers. The air conditioning blew a gale out of the vents. She lost it and yelled at me for a good five minutes about all of the things she hated about me but had never mentioned in the month I had been living there. I didn't put things back in the right place in the kitchen, which I already knew because after I cleaned up, she would go in there and bang shit around for a long time. She didn't appreciate that I didn't shave my armpits or my legs or that I didn't wear deodorant. According to her, I needed to get some self-respect and wear clothes without rips in them. It was all rude and belittling, but I didn't take any of it on board because she was a misogynist woman. Yes, they exist. I had been hoping Cecilia would ask me to move in with her. And because of this fight with the woman hating lesbian, she did. 
We live in a one-room place above Cecilia's parents' garage because although Cecilia makes a lot of money, she needs a cheap place to live because she paid for all her fertility treatments out of pocket like the independent woman she is. We have a kitchenette, cupboards, and a bathroom slightly larger than a toilet on an airplane. The main room has wide windows that help the small room seem bigger. The TV is the first thing I see when I walk through the front door, not the neighbor's pool or the direct view into Cecilia's parents' kitchen. The TV. It's massive. Right now, Cecilia is there in her spot on the couch in front of the TV, breastfeeding Frida and watching her favorite thing, an award show. Specifically, the red carpet interviews before the award show. Do you want some cookies and milk now? Rice milk? She asks. I went crazy in the alternative milk aisle. I got oat, almond, soy. Cecilia strains her neck to look at me. Goat, I say. Are you serious? Hemp? Are you grumpy? No, are you? I ask. A little. I've had this mollusk attached to my tits for more than an hour. She screams whenever I try to take her off. I need to pee. I'll take her. I sit down next to Cecilia as she removes Frida from her breast. There's a small pop sound when her lips come away from Cecilia's nipple. We both laugh. Oh, pee's coming out, Cecilia says as she rushes to the bathroom. I'm stuck now holding the baby, getting achy, and I've got this red carpet shit in my face. Commercially beautiful people looking uncomfortable as photographers and so-called journalists yell their names while they stand like mannequins, trying to hide their anxiety as the flash of hundreds of cameras tick, tick, tick at them. What a nightmare. What did I miss? Well, that reporter dropped down and gave that guy a blowjob and his rent-a-model wife was all like, whatever, he didn't get nominated for anything, you can have him. Right, I forgot you were too feminist to watch these. I am, and you should ask yourself why you like these shame parades. Look at her. That dress is so tight she can't breathe. It's painful to watch. So don't watch. I don't have a lot of choice. I look around the room, emphasizing the limited space with my excellent nonverbal communication skills in an effort to make her feel ashamed that we are living in these conditions. Because when I feel bad, she should feel bad. Don't worry about making dinner. Take some time out before you go to work. Frida needs to wake up. Anyway, I don't want to be up all night. I have a meeting with... Cecilia is distracted by the TV and doesn't finish her sentence. Now she's tilting her head as she watches. Her long brown hair is in a ponytail on the top of her head. She wears it like that so Frida can watch the strands of her mama's beautiful silky hair hang down while she is nursing. One of the hooks on the key rack I made has been taken over by several thick black hair ties with her hair poking out in all directions. When I put my keys on or take them off, the hair tickles my hand. I haven't said anything to Cecilia, but it's kind of gross. Cecilia is often distracted like this by the TV. It's the third wheel in our relationship. Now that Frida has arrived, it's pretty crowded in this place with me, Cecilia, her TV bestie, and Frida. Her favorite actress is being interviewed right now on the big screen. It's no wonder she's distracted. I try not to take it personally. At the beginning of our relationship, I wanted to prove to Cecilia that I got her, so I watched hours and hours of Ernest's performances by her favorite actress. As it turns out, I was more confident than I was capable. During those first couple of movies, which were variations on the same old love stories where the woman has the ability to run home, work full-time, and take the kids to all their soccer games and enjoy every waking minute of every day, I made loud, disapproving noises like sucking air between my teeth or groaning in disgust. In my defense, try to name one film, I'm talking about a major box office release that a radical feminist would approve of. Not possible. Cecilia told me to shut up each time I made one of these audible protests. Sitting in the dark, rubbing greasy, unpopped popcorn kernels between my fingers, I realized that it was my choice to make. 
shut up or get out. It wasn't an ultimatum, it was plain reality. Did I want to be the person who always needed to be right? Or did I want to be the person in a relationship? One half of a functional couple. I chose to shut up, but it wasn't a smooth transition for me. Cecilia had these expectations that I be normal. She never said be normal, it was just a feeling I got, and when I got it, I felt anxious, and I have a sensitivity to anxiety after all those years with Sally. With Cecilia, I knew I was safe, but I still needed to submerge myself in solitude. I hid in closets or escaped out to the sidewalk beyond the driveway until my mind slowed down. Normal was failure. Normal is shopping for clothes in stores that carry multiples of the same clothes in different sizes and colors. The fact that you can travel to different cities and go to a chain store and find the same stock with the same layout, the same posters of people doing happy people things like picnicking and smiling while wearing crisp khaki and white clothing freaks me the fuck out. Cecilia offered to buy me clothes. I like thrift store clothes, I growled at her. She bought me three versions of the same button-down shirt in blue, orange, and purple, as if I was some sort of bureaucratic butch. I never have and never will work in an office. I said thank you, but those shirts are still in the trunk of my car in the bag they came in. When I first moved in with Cecilia, she asked me to make dinners. The idea was that we could eat together before I went to work. I was like, yeah, no problem, and then I tried it. It's embarrassing to admit, but I was shit scared to follow a recipe. I would shake and the ingredients would spill out of the measuring spoons onto the countertop. Cecilia planned the meals on the weekends, and I was supposed to use a specific cookbook that she had marked with sticky notes. I was defeated. I felt like all of the things I was proud of in my life, independent thought and thousands of successful disruptions were being erased. I resented being forced to follow cooking instructions dictated by the privileged blonde lady who wrote the cookbook. She was so smug on the cover, holding a cornucopia of produce. I'm sure she thought she was coming across as generous and offering an abundance of nutrition and comfort to the lucky owners of her cookbook. I didn't see that when I looked at her. She was taunting me with her bounty. I was never going to be successful like she was. I don't mean I would never have a lot of produce. I felt like I was never going to live up to Cecilia's aspirations. The cookbook author's pedantic instructions ordered me to add a half teaspoon of baking soda, and I was like, what if I want to add a whole teaspoon? And she was like, it's going to taste awful. And I was like, I like the taste of baking soda. And she was like, your anarchy has no place in my cookbook. During one specific standoff between me and the cookbook, I was trying to cook broiled chicken following her insidious instructions. I realized I could do something about the situation. I took a brown paper bag, deconstructed it, and meticulously folded a book cover like I used to use in high school for my dilapidated textbooks. I decorated my DIY cover with the words, Food Cecilia Loves. And from then on, I felt better about using the book. I carry the sleeping baby over to the bed and reach for my headphones. I close my eyes and mouth the words of the songs I listen to when I'm feeling ragey, which is not easy to do with a small person sleeping on my chest. If Cecilia had been a man and had asked me out while interviewing me for a job, I would have told him to fuck off and he could shove the fucking job. Was there a double standard at play there? Yep. I said yes to her and to the job. I respected her for being a rule breaker. I respected her as the leader of the company. I was broken, looking for something to belong to. She gave me a job. I guess she was looking for someone like me to help her as well. Now I'm holding a baby. No one from my old life would recognize me if I passed them on the street because I would probably be pushing a stroller. We would never mess with families. 
Pussy power was all about disrupting the workings of business, government, and misogynists in all forms. By definition, harming children is anti-feminist. Frida wakes from my body's movement to the music. She lets out a loud cry. She hates waking up. It's the reflux. Poor little baby. I give her cheeks a soft kiss before I lift her up to Cecilia, who is standing over us, ready as always to accept the task before her without hesitation. I wish I could say that I admire her in this moment, but mostly I resent her for being my boss at work and at home for being perfect. We're not going to break up, are we, Dee? Cecilia says as I pack my bag for work. She's been saying this since we got together, and at the time I thought she was making sure I would stick around so she wouldn't be alone anymore on her mission to get pregnant. She had been trying for a baby for a year before I came along with no luck. Then, boom, after we started cohabitating, the miracle of life did its thing inside her. Somehow she attributed getting pregnant to me, even though I had nothing to do with that one sperm penetrating that one egg. I was at group when she had her appointment, not even in the room. I don't understand why she's still asking me this question. I hope not, is how I always answer. Then I show her a little affection. A kiss on her neck, or I wrap my arms around her back and pull her in. I look around the tiny space with its functional fold-up dinner table and fold-up chairs leaning flat against the wall next to the front door. The two-seater couch in front of her mega-TV. The overflowing closet full of clothes she's only worn once, if ever. The dresser covered with her makeup and jewelry boxes in our bed, piled with blankets. This woman is a queen, and we are living in a barely legal one-room shack above a garage. I'm not sure I will ever be able to afford anything nicer because a nice place to live was never anything I aspired to. I aspired to the end of oppression. That kind of work doesn't leave a lot of time for vacuuming. I love you, she says. I'm not sure I believe her anymore, but I have to go to work and I don't have time to destroy the illusion that we are a functional couple. I love you too, I say, because it's the only thing I can say. It's not a lie. Sorry I missed your call I was busy Now I don't get to say Hey, how was your day? This week can't be a tech Like we normally would
Have to tell you more. 